Welcome to the Scuffed Podcast. I'm Adam Bells in Minneapolis. With me is Greg Velasquez in Des Moines. We talk about U.S. men's soccer. Our guest today is Rafa Wicke, head coach of the U.S. U-17 men's national team. The boys will kick off a camp Thursday in Carson, California, where, where they'll play friendlies against the LA Galaxy second team and Orange County SC, both USL championship sides. And the roster for that camp should be out by the time you listen to this. After that, they'll have one more camp in September before the U-17 World Cup starts in October. Rafa, thanks for coming on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. Sure. Thanks for having me. Let's let's start with World Cup qualifying. Your your team, the U-17s, progressed quickly in that tournament, the CONCACAF Championship in May. And by the final, in my opinion, they were playing some really lovely soccer. How did you get them to play so well so quickly? Yeah, I agree with you. I think the team uh, became better and better as long as the tournament went on, which is normal, normally. Uh, as well, it was my almost first time being together with them. We have never played with each other or we never really had a real game together. So um, uh, it's it's obviously uh, being together every day, uh, watching videos, training sessions, and then just uh, just getting to know each other better, which makes normally a team better, more comfortable with the style of play the head coach wants, um, knowing their, their own roles on the field, off the field better. So that, that makes normally a team progress and that's what we saw at at CONCACAF and um, yeah I was pretty happy with what I saw during the whole tournament I I didn't think that we played really bad or bad in the first game because um, even if we were 2-0 down against um, Canada in halftime before they scored the opening goal after 22 or 23 minutes um, we were clearly dominating we were clearly better but you could feel, obviously, the team a little bit nervous, a little bit, uh, a little bit still finding their roles, and, uh, getting to know Canada as well. Uh, we expected them maybe to to be a little bit more aggressive, to press a little bit higher. So, so that all was part of the game. And then, obviously, they surprised us with with two um, actually beautiful goals. Uh, yeah. They they scored in in like two minutes, I think. Um, but I didn't think I didn't think that the first team we played really bad really bad so because it doesn't always mean when you lose that you play bad and when you win that you play good that's not that's not how soccer works um but yeah gladly we got then a great reaction uh, in second half and we turned the game around and i think that was very very important as well for the mentality and for the for for the mental state of the group to 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 see that okay uh, if you believe if you keep on going um, then you can turn around things. So that was a huge uh, point for this tournament. And then, yeah, I think every game the team became more more comfortable, um, more secure, and, and uh, uh, by the end, uh, the best is what you said. The best part was the first half against Mexico. I think we played a, not a perfect in soccer. There's no there's no perfect, but we played we, we played a really really good um, first half. But it was one one that. Uh, that was the mistake. It should not have been one-one at halftime. Yeah. Well, you know, before we get into that a little bit more, what what specifically, you know, other than being more comfortable with each other and more comfortable with you, what specifically did the players start to do better as the tournament went on? As you know, as specific as you can be about that would be, I think, would be interesting to listeners. Uh, 
Yeah. So, so obviously, before going into the first game, we had um, against Canada, we had six days of preparation where we, as if the staff uh, spoke and said, okay, what are we going to expect from CONCACAF? What will the teams do? So we had three, four points. The teams will sit deep against us. They will try to stay compact and make us life difficult. The teams will try to hurt us on counterattacks. Um, the teams will try to hurt us on set pieces. So these three, four points uh, we analyzed and we said, okay, how do we break how do we play against that? How do we break down a team who is sitting deep? Um, how do we manage not running into counterattacks? Because that's what the team wants. And how, how can we be very solid on set pieces defensively, but very creative as well and dangerous offensively? So we trained on these things um, in these five, six days, which is not a lot of time. Usually national team coach has a year, year and a half time to prepare that, but we try to do the best out of it in these five, six training sessions and with video analyzing as well, with, with a clear message to the team. That, so that's where the whole staff and, and the team work together on, on these things. So um, as the game went on, and especially after the second half with Canada turning around that game, um, I think the team understood more what CONCACAF will be. Teams sitting deep, how can we break them down? Um, the, the, the thing is, me as a head coach asked the team to do and we showed them video and we trained these things so all that became became better or they they got more comfortable uh, doing that um, game by game um, and that that's how the team then became more secure and, and, and better and and uh, yeah out of the experience of the first half against Canada maybe where we didn't play bad but we played slow we didn't play we didn't play fast enough um, Canada was defending very, very uh, compact and close the center. So then, obviously, we talked to the team or we asked them questions. So if the team, if the opponent team closes down the center, so where will be the space? So the team gave the the answer on on their own. They said, okay, we have to play faster and, and break them down over the sides. So all of these things, they they then started to do it, and um, game after game, uh, they were actually then realizing uh, and making their own decisions on the field. When they saw that the team is, is blocking the center, they, they knew, okay, we have to go over the sides. When the sides were blocked, they knew, okay, there will be more spaces in the center. So all of these things then um, made our team more comfortable. One, one thing you did was move, I don't remember which game this happened, but one thing that happened over the course of the tournament was Gio, Gio Reyna, who started the tournament in the center of the pitch, uh, started lining up more consistently on the left wing and Gianluca Busio ended up more in the in the center of the pitch um can you talk about that decision was that a was that a, like was that the instruction and and what was the thinking behind that yeah that we, we did that after the first game we analyzed the first game we spoke as well to the players and, and with the staff then we decided okay let's let's start uh, Gio um, Reyna on the, on the on the wing as he is is really good in one versus one, he really likes that. He really likes taking on players. He's is one of his strengths. He's he's fast. He has a lot of power and, and, and pace. Yeah. Um, so we did that, and uh, and Gianluca as well. We thought he can help us uh, in the center um, midfield as a number eight, number ten a lot. Um, so we did that, and that worked out really well. I think both players felt comfortable uh, in in these positions, but. 
as well for the future, I, I, I don't want to have them statically in, in these positions. I, I still want them because they both can play. Uh, Gianluca can play on the wing and Gio can play in the, in the center and, and vice versa. So in the future as well, I want them to, to change interchange these positions during a game on their own. Um, it's not always, it doesn't have to be static. So, But yeah, we did that after the first game. Okay. Yeah, I was I was gonna was curious what you see as Gio Reyna's long term position as a player, um, and you know what's his ceiling. I know he he gets a lot of attention. You know he was just he's on tour with Dortmund right now, or just was. But what what's your take on him as a player? Well, he's a very special player. He has uh, special qualities. Uh, he's a game changer in the offensive in the offensive part of the field. Um, uh, he has, I think. Incredible talent, uh, ability to, to to change a game, to score, to prepare goals and, and opportunities. Um, so he needs he needs he needs now rhythm. He for the last six months he didn't really have uh, a continuous rhythm, which means uh, he didn't have any games before coming to uh, Concacaf. I think his last full game was probably so Concacaf was uh, early May. Right. I think his last game before that was probably the Nike friend in December 2018, which is five, six months away. So um, at that point, and, and even without having rhythm and, and, and uh, get a lot of games, he did really, really well at CONCACAF. But it's very important for him now to have full pre-seasons in Dortmund with whatever team it will be. And now he was with the first team a little bit, but it's important for him to to be there, have a full preseason, get a rhythm, get games every weekend, uh, 90 minutes. If it's with the 19s, the 23s, or the first teams of Dortmund, it doesn't really matter to me. But for him, it's important to get minutes. And then, the position is a is a, is a topic we, I mean, we all we all talk about. He he can play. I think all if we're talking about four or five offensive positions, he can he can play them all. He can play as a right or left winger. He can play as a in a 4-3-3 as a double number 8 and number 10. And he can even, I think, play as a number 9 coming down in between the lines. He is comfortable there. So, so um, yeah, I'm curious as well where Dortmund will, will play him. I saw if the first team he played one game as a, as a number 8 or 10 and the, and the second one he played as a winger. So um, I think he has time to figure it out and, and time will tell. But um, I don't think it's very important right now that he's fixed on one position. Yeah, he's not a he's not an old man yet, so he has time to figure it out. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, how did you come up with the qualifying roster after having seen so little of the pool? I think you were you were named as the coach in March, and then obviously the tournament was in May. That's not very much time. Who who helped you make those decisions about who to include in the roster? That was a lot of people helped me. In this transition at the federation, um, we have uh, we have a great scouting uh, department with Tony Lepore as the head of scouting, and then he has his three um, scouting um, managers, mm-hmm. uh, West, East, and Central America. And uh, so with with that help, with Tab Ramos, who knows all the players as well, um, um, we yeah they helped me to to build the roster obviously there was there was a lot of good work done before with the previous coaches in the last one and a half two years here so there was a roster of of uh, 40 45 players and then we choose for the minicamp uh early april i think we choose like 
25 to 30 players to go into a little mini camp. And from there, then to make the final roster for CONCACAF, obviously I was still depending and listening and trusting the, the talent ID department. But as well, a few decisions I made on my own after the mini camp because, yeah, but, but obviously the help from the talent ID department was very, very helpful and, and important. Okay. Well, you mentioned the the game against Mexico, in, in which the first half was was I mean really a joy to watch. I wasn't the only one who who was kind of celebrating as we were shredding Mexico in the attack. But like you said, we didn't score. Can you tell the story of the game, sort of in your eyes, how that went down? Yeah. Well, first of all, obviously we have a, we have our we try to develop a style of play. We we, we try to play out of the back um, and and then progress into the next uh, third of the field or into the finals. That that's that's our game model. That's how we train. That's what we want to do. Um, and as well for the Mexico game, we we had a game plan as well, and we we knew that they may come and press us higher than previous teams at Concacaf because almost no team really came and pressed us. But we knew Mexico probably will press us, and we were prepared for that we knew how they will press us and we had a plan how to break them down in when they press us and and um, the, the the players our players felt pretty comfortable playing out of the back and and trying to prepare um, a goal scoring opportunity um and did actually really 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 well uh in in this first half uh, creating a lot a lot of chances playing a really really dominant um, style of play and and well organized defensively as well so that mexico who is a strong team and who who always creates chances didn't really have a lot of chances maybe two or three in the first half um so yeah it's <laughs> that is a great job or our team our players besides of putting the ball in the net that's then the main objective so that's the that's probably the, the only negative thing we have to um tell each other that, yeah, in the end of the game, it's about winning. It's about, yes, style of play. You want to play nice soccer, but in the end of the game, if you have so many chances, you got to be clinical. You've you got to be, um, um, how do you say, brutal, because you know, and I knew, and with soccer experience, you're not going to have a second half like that. It's not possible. It's just not possible because um, the opponent's coach is, usually a good coach too. They have a plan, they have a staff, they react, they analyze, and in halftime you have 15 minutes to change some things. And we knew exactly, or I knew out of my experience, it's not gonna, we're not gonna continue like that. It's not possible. Mm. Um, so yeah, and that's then what happened. I, I don't wanna get too in the weeds, but what did they, what did they change and how did, that, how did that allow them to get a hold on the game in the second half? Well, um, they changed the way they pressed us from goal kicks, but that is not really the main topic. It's just that I think we played nearly a perfect first half uh, in possession. And it's just very, very difficult in soccer to reproduce a second half like that. I mean, we created, when I remember the stats, and I'm usually not going off the stats, but I think we had 65 to 35 possession. We had 15 to 3 shots on goal. We hit twice the post, once the, the cross ball. We had really good chances. The goalkeeper had a great first half. So it's not possible to to recreate that. Uh, I mean, there was a, there was a very good team uh, on the other side of the field. So yeah. it's just in soccer, out of experience, not possible to do that. And then 
they made a substitution one or two in halftime and, and changed uh, changed some little things. Um, and I think the second half um, was still a good half, but it was just more 45-55 or 50-50. So I, I, I don't think that Mexico dominated us completely. No. I think as the, as the game went on from minute 60 to 90, I think that's where we started struggling a little bit. Um, earlier, we had chances to, even beginning of second half, we had one or two big chances with Gianluca Busio, I think, and, and, and I think Alfonso. Um, but again, we didn't score. But then it started just to be more more um, equal the game, and and um, we didn't have we we were let's say we were not as clear in possession in the second half. We were not as calm in possession in the second half as we were in the first half. And I think that's when the game turned into more in a transition game, and that's where we started struggling more than in the first half. But it was still quite quite equal and and. Um, uh, yeah, I mean, they could have scored, we could have scored, and we, we finished 1-1 after 90 minutes. Um, it was a little bit unfortunate that we had two, three players uh, injured in that game. They were still all sitting on the bench. We didn't give them injured on the on the, on the the roster list, um, but they were. I knew that uh, Jack DeVries and Brian Cayo, uh, I couldn't bring in that game because uh, Axel Alejandro I couldn't bring because they were injured, but they were still on the bench. So no, no one really knew. But obviously, in a in a intensive game like the final, um, it would have been nice to have Brian Cayo, Jack DeVries, who are who were important pieces in our in our tournament. Yeah. Um, bring in after 60 minutes uh, and, and give the give the team um, a second win. Because that was one of the strengths we had you uh, during all tournament. That uh, what, whoever player I changed, the guy who stepped in was really good and, and did a great job. So. Um, so yeah, but that's not an excuse. That's just a fact. And, yeah, yeah. And, uh, and that. But yeah, I mean the game was equal second half and then and then sometimes it's details. We go into overtime. Obviously it was. It was a long tournament. Uh, you could feel that the team's getting tired. Uh, um, the, the, when you're tired, your, your concentration is less good. We got a little bit more sloppy, but we were still in the game. And then there was one error um, in the overtime, and they score, and that's just what makes the difference in the end. That's why I said in the beginning, when you have such a first half and, and when you have so many chances, um, we need to learn to finish that, and we need to learn to finish that game with these chances because you're not going to have as many chances by the end of the game in the second half. So we need to learn of that. Um, the, the, the mentality cannot be that we, we think, oh, it's going to continue like that. We have five, six, seven chances. We're going to have five, six in the second half. No, we gotta, we got to finish the chances and try to be more clinical. Um, yeah, and the game should have been, I think, 3-1 or 4-2 in the first half. And then we would maybe... Uh, talk differently now, but right. it's all maybe. Yeah, no, <laughs> I it's. Was, I was still. I was very, very pleased with the tournament. I was very, very pleased with the way the team responded and the way the team played. And then in soccer, yeah, sometimes the result goes your favor, sometimes not. But the way the team worked together, was together as a group for these four weeks and played, was very, very positive. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So you you just you talked a little bit about uh, Gianluca and Gio uh, interchanging positions. That reminds me a little bit of the national team where, um, you know, the senior national team where the wingers uh, are tucking in and, and sometimes, you know, Christian Pulisic is getting out wide even though he's, his starting position is the middle of the field. 
How much is the style of play for the U-17s meant to mirror what the senior team is doing under Berhalter? Um, well, we're not trying to copy anything, but obviously <laughs> um, we, I, I talk with, with Greg a lot. Um, I have my, my exchanges with Tab, and I mean, Tab as well as the 20s plays a very offensive uh, possession-based style. So, so we're, yeah, there is an alignment. Um, there is an alignment. We're talking about principles, what we want to, what we want to teach the, the players, uh, the positioning of players. It's, it's, uh, yeah, it goes into the similar or same direction. Um, uh, yeah, um, which, which is positive. There is a, there is a vertical alignment from the first team to the, to the use, but we're still trying to build that. But like I said, not copying anything. I mean, I'm the coach and I have to bring in then my words, my way of, of teaching and coaching, but yeah. um, there is a, a similarity of, of position, but um, it's, it's more about the principle and the style of, of play and the way how you want to build and create chances, which, which uh, yeah, we, trying, we try to, to do in a similar way than the first team, yes. Okay, okay. How do you think about your midfield? Is it... Um, is it this is kind of a nutty question, but I'd, lo- I'd love to hear your take on it. Is it two sixes and an eight or a six and an eight and a 10 or a six and two eights? Uh, like how, how you, how do you think about it? it? You're right. You're right. It's definitely three midfielders, um, but it's not important to me if it's two six and a 10 or two eights and a six, because I believe the game is dynamic. And when once you're in possession, you're not in a static uh, shape so you can start with one six but then when you're under pressure maybe one of the number eight or ten drops down and then you have two six and then the third midfielder needs to go a little bit higher and be in between the lines and he then becomes maybe a ten so um, defensively sometimes you defend higher up and then you're not in a shape you're man orientated mm-hmm. and sometimes you're a little bit deeper and yeah then you may have two number sixes in front of the of the defensive line so but it's definitely three midfielders who I want interchanging positions. We played a lot with um, Adam Saldana, Daniel Leiva, Busio, sometimes with uh, Saldana and Brian Cayo. So these players have to rotate. I want them to rotate. I don't want them to be static um, when we are in possession. So uh, and we will try to continue uh, building building on that. And yeah, but it's not so important if it's two six or two eight or however you call it. Okay, okay. S- switching gears a little bit, you just you just spent a lot of time at the Development Academy playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. What did you come away with? Uh, did anyone in particular catch your eye? Yeah, there was a, there is a few players we we invite to um, to the camp now in California. I think we invite five or six uh, new players or some are new, some come back. They were in before. Um, I saw, I was at Generation Adidas Cup in uh, mid-April in Dallas and I already saw there a few players who I thought they're interesting. There is so many players in this country. It's so big. Uh, so there's a big pool of players. Yeah. Um, and I saw now a few new ones as well at the, at the showcase in, in Oceanside and we invite a few new ones from there. Um, but I'm not planning on, uh, my plan is not to change for the World Cup 10, 12 players, obviously not, because 
we have a core group. We have we have very good players, and I hope that all of them are, are healthy and and will be released uh, for the World Cup. But it's possible that we have two three changes in in that roster. Yes. Oh, okay. So you're thinking like you're thinking like single digit number of changes, small single digit number of changes between qualifying and the and the World Cup for the roster. Am I hearing you right? That's the plan now. Yeah. Okay. That, that's that's the plan right now. Um, I will go into camp uh, by Friday. Then I will see a few new players. I will compare. We'll we'll see. But as well, you know, it's um, we have we have a team who qualified. We have a good team mentality. We have a good chemistry in the team. Um, yeah, there must be competition. So that's why we have five six new players in. There is competition for spots. But as well, when you go into a tournament like the World Cup, you you also it's not only the the individual player who is important, but it's it's the team, who, it's the roster. How do you choose a roster? Um, not in in a tournament, in a World Cup. And I talk about my own experience as a player. Not not everyone out of these twenty twenty one players will have minutes all the time. Mm-hmm. So sometimes you need you need players who understand their role, who are very supportive, even they don't play. Um, so if you only have, let's say you have twenty players who are all Let's call them star players, like like, and they and they have all a big ego. But there's only eleven playing, and when you're in a tournament between game A uh, one and game two, you may make two three changes, not six seven changes. And between game two and three again, maybe two three changes, not six seven. Then you still have players who don't play. So yeah. all these um, things um, are are going to be important with choosing a roster, so that we actually have quality. We have big quality as well in the depth of the of the roster, but as well players who are supportive even if they wouldn't start uh, every single game. Yeah, interesting. So how does the level of competition at the DA playoffs uh, compare to the U17 and U19 levels in Europe? You've, you've spent a lot of time in Europe, obviously. Yeah, the, I mean, like I said, there is a lot of there's a lot of talent. There's a lot of good players in this country. It's it's so big. Um, it's very difficult to compare. Um, when I was at the GA Cup in Dallas, there were European teams, there were South American teams. River Plate, Valencia from Europe, uh, Olympic Lyon from France, mm-hmm. um, West Ham, Zagreb. There were really good academies there. In the end, Seattle Sounders won the tournament. Um, so there is people do a good job. There is good talent. Um, uh, I think I think there's good work being done here. Um, the the most difficult point I always say is, is is here is to filter and to find all these players because it's so big, um, and and then and then bring them to the to the best environment where they can individually progress, um, but still have like maybe a a school or job um, um, possibility as well because. Education is still important for these 16, 17-year-olds. And I think in these in these um, aspects in Europe, the clubs are maybe a little bit better organized. A lot of the clubs have school and sports together. Um, so they help them to go through these, these years between 16 and 19. Mm-hmm. Um, the whole system is different. You have this tradition in the United States to go to college and the college degree. And, and that tradition we don't have in Europe in most of the countries. Um, so that is still think something the clubs, some of the clubs have now sport and school um, solutions, but I think it's very few. That will be something probably next five years, which more clubs have to go into and will go into. So there is development. But in terms of 
quality. There is there is really good quality here. Um, at the showcase, I think the the top players of my national team or a lot of the players of my national team were not there because they already play either MLS or play USL, which is a good which is a good thing. Uh, yeah. So they are young and they're young higher up. So I think the quality was maybe a little bit less good than in GA Cup, where a lot of the players were there. Um, but still, this always gives opportunity for other players to step in, for younger players to step in, and um, the quality overall was was very interesting. Okay. You've been drawn, speaking about the World Cup, you've been drawn in a pretty tough group. Japan, the Netherlands, and Senegal, I think all of them you know, have been strong at the senior level lately. What do you make? What do you make of the competition? And can you give us a little scouting report on them? Yeah. So the first thing is always, what are your expectations? I didn't expect to have an easy group at the World Cup. At the World Cup, there is no normally there is no easy groups. There is not many easy teams. Um, when I look at our group, yeah, it's strong. We have the European champions with Netherlands, um, which just became champion in uh, in May, June. Um, but if if it wouldn't have been the Netherlands, it could have been Italy, France, Spain. Um, they're not so bad either. So um, it's just it's just great. It's a, it's a great challenge to play against these guys. Then we have Japan, which is the Asian champion. They just became Asian champion. Um, but again, if it wouldn't have been Japan, it could have been Paraguay, Chile, Argentina. Um, uh, who else is there from from South America? Ecuador is there. Um, I think Ecuador. Yeah. So. There is there is a lot of, of of just good teams from the other continents too, and uh, Senegal the African teams are always strong. They're always very physical. They're always they're always athletic, maybe sometimes a little bit wild, uh, from structure wise, but they're very talented. So it's a it's a great group. It's a challenging group, but um, I'm very confident. Other games will be tough, but that's 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 good for the kids that's good for the for the progression and for the development of our players yes we we want to go there we want to win we want to go through that's our main objective but um it's it's not going to be easy and we knew that so um we're now trying to prepare focus on us we will have scouting reports of the other teams um but mainly focus on us and mm-hmm. and, and hopefully all the players are healthy and can be released so that we have the strongest team possible at the world cup and then Go there to win and enjoy. Okay. Getting to the home stretch here, so bear with me. Um, you might have a problem that's unusual for an American coach when it comes to rosters. You have a lot of depth at left back. I'm thinking of Kobe Hernandez Foster, who obviously has been playing center back for the U17s, but also George Bello, John Tolkien, um, Jonathan Gomez is a little younger, but he's out there, and I'm sure you've seen him play. And then Adam Armour has been in a lot of rosters. Mm-hmm. How is how are you how are you handling that? I mean, it's um, is it frustrating to have so many good left backs? Oh no, <laughs> no, that would be a, that would be no good if it would be frustrating. That's that's very good. That's competition. Competition makes the athlete better, or become better, and. Um, and uh, it's good for a coach to have these many choices. But the the reality is that since I'm here, George Bello was never with us. He was injured. Um, he is still trying to get back into full fitness, I think, with Atlanta. So fingers crossed he will be back and healthy. Um, then George Bello is, is 
is is a great is a great um, possibility for me as a coach. Um, so our our uh, usual fullbacks since I'm here were John Tolkien and Adam Armour. Um, Kobe. Kobe can play there, and he probably will play there in the future. Right now, Kobe was our centre-back, our left centre-back. Um, and we will see. I'm now going into camp. I may try him on a different position as well, but right now, um, we don't have that many left-footed centre-backs in this age group, so Kobe is right now important um, for us there. Okay. So it's not it's not super likely that we see Kobe moving out wide um, come October? It's not impossible. It's not impossible, but um, I have to see, again. I have to see who is available. Is George Bello available? Hopefully, um, then we have, uh, like you mentioned, uh, Tolkien and, and Adam Armour and, and George Bello. We have three very interesting left backs. Then I may not need him there, depending on the situation. But it's not impossible that he he, he will play. I know he played with Galaxy a few games or some games there. Um, and so I, it's it's a good it's good for me. It, Kobe is a player who gives me three three different positions. Uh, he covers three different positions, <clears throat> which is very positive. Yeah, yeah. Who are some of the center backs on your radar who weren't playing in the Concacaf Championship? I guess I guess we'll find out this afternoon when the roster is released who exactly is on your radar. But um, does anybody come to mind? Yeah. So- yeah, we, so we invited uh, we invited Mason Judge, uh, who was already in before, but never with me. He comes from Frankfurt. We invite Nicolas Carrera from uh, FC Dallas. We invite uh, Jonathan Tompkinson, who used to play at Solar FC, but now is in Norwich in England. And as well from Solar FC, a left-footed centre-back is um, Joshua Ramsey, who is in for the first time too. So... We have, besides of Kobe, Axel Alejandre and Tavon Gray, who as well gives us cover different positions. We have a lot of centre-backs there. Um, and it's going to be interesting. I'm, I'm looking forward to meeting these new players and seeing them train with us. Okay. Yeah, very interesting. That's a lot of, of centre-backs. I guess it'll be good competition. Um, one player who... I don't believe is a citizen yet, but who has been impressive in USL, and I know that if I don't ask about him, people are going to be like, why didn't you ask about him? Is, uh, is Moses Nyman. I think he's, he's an O three. He's, he's a young O three. Have you noticed him? Has he, is he on your radar? He's a very nice center midfielder. Yeah. Moses is, Moses is playing for under 16 national team. He is in with the, with the younger age group. Um, so it's not new. I know him. I saw him at the, the Jacob. I saw him at the different tournaments. And um, right now our midfield is, Pretty busy and pretty strong. With, with um, we have Maxi Dietz coming in, who is at Freiburg in Germany. Uh, we have Daniel Leiva, we have Busio, we have Brian Kaya, we have Adam Saldana, um, we have Gilbert Fuentes from San Jose Earthquake, who is more offensive, but is also one of those trees. We have Tyler Freeman who can play there. So there's a lot of there's a lot of players in these positions. We know that Kobe could potentially play as a number six. Tavon Gray can potentially play as a number six. So there's a lot of traffic in these positions. Um, but we know Moses, yeah. Okay. Let me ask an injury question. Joe Scally recently had surgery. Do you expect him to be ready for the World Cup? I hope so. I hope so, yeah. Um, he's not going to be now in for the camp. Um, I'm not sure. Hopefully he will be ready for the September tournament in the Netherlands when we go there. 
but we have to take that probably day by day and see how he recovers. But uh, I have obviously big hopes that he will be ready by by mid of October. Yes. Does he does he project as a as a fullback long term? I know he play, he's played right back, but you've tried him at center back a little bit, right? Uh, I have no. I've played him at centre back when we played out with three. Sometimes when we build up uh, with three, but uh, yeah, I mean he has he has the physicality to to play as a as a right back. He goes up and down. He's very offensive. He can create. He has a great mentality. Um, there are certain things he needs to he needs to become better. He knows that, and we're not going to talk about that in the, in the radio here. <laughs> but um, yeah, I think I think he has he has everything to become a. A good, a good um, fullback if he, if he gets healthy again and can progress in in the weaknesses he has. Um, personally, I've never had him as a centre back in since I'm here, but I'm only here since three months, and I've only had the team twice. So yeah, right. we will see. He's right now not in the plans centre back, but um, uh, yeah, that's I know that him as well. He gives me he gives me the um, possibility. Uh, to play him there, yeah. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he did play in one of the maybe 45 minutes in in the, in Concacaf. He came and helped out in the center, but he's in our plans as on on the right fullback position. Okay, all right. And then w- one last roster question, unless you want to say anything else about it. Um, Busio, Bello, you know, assuming Bello gets healthy, um, uh, Busio stays healthy, and and Reina, do you? Do you expect them to be all released by their clubs? Have you gotten any word from from them? You know, I, I mean, assuming, of course, they're healthy. I hope they will be released. Um, I know this is always a big topic, maybe more with the under twenties than with the under seventeens. Um, but I hope that they will be released first of all because it's a World Cup. You don't know how many World Cups in your life you will play. Hopefully for all of them, they will play more with, with the older age groups and with the men's, but you never know that. So if you have a possibility, um, uh, then it would be obviously great for, for them to be released and, and have, make this experience. For me as a coach, it would be great to have all of them. Um, we are in touch with the clubs, but this is right now obviously too early, but I haven't had any negative uh, feedbacks uh, okay. concerning um, the release. But we will do that once it gets closer, and I mean, clubs know our, our schedule, and I think they as well want to. That's what I feel. They support us, and they want to support us, and, and, and give the players as much support to to play that World Cup. Okay. All right. Well, turning our attention to you a little bit, you've you've answered this question in other places, but what appealed to you about this job? You were coaching in Champions League, uh, you know, less than two years ago. And um, and now you're in the U.S. coaching the U.S. U17s. Like, what what did you what did you like about the job when you when you decided to take it? There were different different factors which which I really liked. Um, um, the first, obviously, I had really good conversations with Greg and and the, and uh, the other people from the federation. So, in terms of of uh, Philosophy-wise, that that matches my my way of seeing the game uh, and the project they had here was was so I thought it's very interesting to come in here. I think it's a great market to come in here. I followed the U.S. market since 
10 years now since I've retired or played here. Mm-hmm. Um, even I was in Europe, I was always following it. I have a lot of former teammates uh, being coaches in the MLS. Now Jesse Marsh went over to to uh, Europe. But I have uh, always been in touch with these guys and uh, went to visit them in their clubs and followed the league and followed as well the, the U.S. soccer. I think it's a great market. It's, an, it's, a, it's a talented market. It's a good time as well to come into this to this project with, with the changes U.S. soccer had with the with the World Cup uh, um, ahead in, in 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 2026. So all of that um, um, made made it uh, for me interesting to to join this this position this market, um, and I'm working with top talented players. Yes, I played I. I I coached Champions League, which was a very an amazing experience, and I'm proud of of that. Um, but for me, it's more of the it's the project which is interesting. The project we can I, I like to develop. Uh, if it's in a federation or in a club, I like to develop uh, players, develop help develop a, a style of play, and I think there is a lot of chances and, and opportunities to do that here. So. So, yeah, and then as well, I have some private, my wife is from the United States, and so so there's also a private, um, a private point in here who I was interested in coming over here. So there is different factors which, which were important. And then in the end, it's just a feeling. You have to go about your feeling, and, and that's what I did, and I'm, I'm very pleased and happy to be here. Yeah. Wives are very important. I have one, too. They, she's important. Yeah. <laughs> Um, what what's going to be the next step for you personally after the after the World Cup? It seems like a natural move for you, you know, if Tab Ramos decides to to move on, for you to maybe take over the U twenties or maybe a technical director job. I don't I don't know what all is going on at Soccer House, but can you give us any insight about what's next? No, not at all. I cannot uh, because <laughs> I mean I have a contract as as an under 17 coach and and that's what I'm right now. And uh, I mean, Tab is, is a great coach, very successful, is is here, has his job. So uh, I haven't had any uh, thoughts about that or calls or talks or meetings about that. And it's not really in my plan. I, I really try to, I just took this job three months ago and I'm very into that right now. Um, and I'm happy to be here and, and uh, yeah, focus on that. It goes quick in soccer. We all know that, um, or in sports in, in general. So, so I'm trying with the experiences I've made in the past in Europe as well, and last my last job in Champions League and everything, not to look <clears throat> too far in the future because it goes so quickly. So, but um, no, I I haven't had any thoughts about that. Okay, fair enough. Anything anything you wish I had asked you about? Anything else you want to talk about? No, I'm good. I'm good. I mean. It was interesting. Good questions. Uh, I was happy to 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 explain some of our ideas, some of the things maybe people have watched and maybe now understand a little bit more in details because I know it is when you watch a soccer game and then when you have the insights of a coach or um, on what the plan is and what you want to do, then some things may may seem a little bit easier to understand. And um, but no, um, thanks for your support and um, hopefully we can all enjoy a great World Cup. Yeah, good luck to you, Rafa. And um, I should I should say, yeah, congratulations on a very encouraging um, performance at qualifying, even despite the the loss in the final. I think most people were very pleased with what we saw. So congratulations Thank on you. that.
Well, thanks, 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 thanks very much for your time. Um, thanks for thanks for answering the questions and everything. Take care. Sure, it was a pleasure. Thank you. Take care.